Welcome to On the Cusp, the podcast that analyzes the new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies and hears from the innovative people at the forefront of countering that aggression. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I also lead Rusi's Modern Deterrence Project, which studies such hostile activities and what to do about them. You can find On the Cusp wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about Modern Deterrence, visit rusi.org slash moderndeterrence where you can also sign up for our mailing list. Cybersecurity is a hugely annoying matter to have to discuss. Cyber attacks are constantly increasing and they can knock out not just our computers at home, but the power grid, the supermarkets we shop in, basically anything we use every day, even traffic lights. And our adversaries know that the chances of them suffering any consequences as a result of their attacks are small. So I'm pleased that there is good news. The US Congress, which rarely agrees on anything at the moment, has a bipartisan commission led by an independent senator and a Republican congressman, and that's Senator Angus King and Representative Mike Gallagher, with commissioners who lead federal agencies and private sector companies. And this spring, the commission, which is called the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, produced a phenomenal report with recommendations about how the US can better defend itself against cyber attacks. And I should add that those recommendations are really applicable to any liberal democracy. And a hint, it's not just about hiring more IT personnel. It's about everybody doing their part. It's about the continuity of the economy, how to keep the economy going in case of a devastating cyber attack. And it's about deterrence. How do we signal to the adversary what will happen to them if they attack? And I'm thrilled to be able to speak with Senator King, who represents Maine and is one of only two independent members of the U.S. Senate. The other one is, of course, Bernie Sanders. And it's fantastic that leaders like Senator King are able to come on the podcast because they are, of course, extremely busy. And we spoke with Senator King while he was traveling. So I hope you'll forgive the sometimes not so great sound quality. So, Senator, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission's report is extremely impressive in, in the number of uh, actionable proposals it puts forward. But it's, it's almost as if there is uh, too much of a, a good thing because there are so many actionable proposals. And, and clearly, Congress would struggle to, to get itself together to pass all of them. So what would you consider the most important proposal in your report? Well, I think the, the first thing to say about the number of proposals is that this is a, as you know, an extremely um, complex subject that touches on so many areas in both the private sector and in government. It's, it's everything from home routers to presidential leadership to congressional organization to private sector protection of the grid. So. We tried to look at this in the most comprehensive way possible in order to formulate a strategy to defend the country in cyberspace, which was our a mission that was assigned by Congress in the defense bill two years ago. It's hard to pick any one, but I do think one of the most important, uh, if, I, if you really push me, is the National Cyber Director, uh, which gives us one point of contact in the federal government to coordinate the multiplicity of places where cyber has is being dealt with. It's dealt with our Department of Homeland Security by the FBI, the CIA, the National Security Agency. Uh, it's all over the place. TSA, it just has 
a whole alphabet of touch points. So having a director who's congressionally approved in the White House, we think it's a very important recommendation. And so far, the White House is resisting the recommendation, but uh, we're hoping to persuade them that this is actually a favor to the president because it gives him uh, one point of contact and some him or her, someone to hold accountable. So if you impress me, I think that's one of the most important. I, I, I would also say, secondly, uh, uh, on, a, on an equivalent level, and this also relates to the executive, is the development of a, of a clearly articulated cyber deterrence strategy or doctrine so that our adversaries understand that there's a price to be paid for a cyber attack on the United States, such as the one that occurred in our elections in 2016. The problem has been, Elizabeth, that the adversaries have basically uh, had a free ride. They, they have not had to calculate costs in deciding whether to come after us in a, in a serious cyber attack. So I would say the National Cyber Director and a clearly articulated deterrent strategy are the two most important recommendations. And if I can follow up on that, uh, it's it's no secret that the US has offensive cyber capabilities, but as, as you just pointed out, and, and as the commission pointed out in, in its report, that doesn't seem to deter America's adversaries and the adversaries of other Western countries uh, as well. Why, why is that? Is it because the US is not communicating that, that uh, capability clearly enough? Well, first I should say that the response doesn't necessarily have to be cyber to cyber. It can be sanctions, it can be indictments, it, 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 it can be any, any level of national power. Certainly cyber is, is part of it uh, or potential. But the important thing is signaling. And our signaling has been, uh, I would say, inconsistent and uh, somewhat weak so that Whatever the response is, the adversaries don't fear it. They attack us and take millions of Americans' private data from the Office of Personnel Management, and basically not much happens. And there has to be, uh, there has to be a response. I mean, that's just, it's, it's common sense. If you were a boxer and all you could do was duck and bob and weave and fend off blows, eventually you'd be knocked out. Because the other guy, you know, you have to be able to hit back. And we haven't signaled that. And a deterrent capacity is no good unless the adversary knows you have it. That's the whole idea of deterrence. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I think is, is, has been lacking in the cyber policy of the U.S. for the past oh, 15 years anyway. And can I just ask, you said the White House is reluctant to uh, engage with, with your proposal for a very senior level cyber czar, as it were. What, which part is the White House reluctant uh, to engage with? Is it the seniority or the, or the sort of one-stop shop solution that you're proposing? Uh, I, I'm not sure of that because we've not gotten any really official response. Uh, we've you know, what we've, we've heard that they don't like it. We've heard that the national security director doesn't like it. And that may be, you know, a simple matter of not wanting to uh, give up authority that now rests in the national security director. But, you know, I, I think one of the things we learned from the pandemic is that you want a, a single point of contact. You want a single point 
of authority to pull together the various resources that are available throughout the federal government. And you also want somebody to hold accountable. My, before I was in politics, I was in business. And one of my fundamental principles of business when I was contracting with people was, I want one throat to choke. I want, I wanted, I want somebody, I, I don't want people when there's a cyber attack saying, well, it wasn't my responsibility. That was that should have been handled at DHS. And they say, oh, no, no, that was the FBI that dropped the yeah. ball. No, no, I want somebody in charge. And if I were the president, I would want that. And, and that's why I, I, I think there's still some possibility of persuading the White House that this is, uh, this is not an undermining of presidential authority. It's an augmentation of presidential authority. Yes, and, and uh, that's, that idea of, of one throat to choke, I mean, that, that would be very handy for whoever the president is so that he or she doesn't have to take responsibility for the chaos that will inevitably ensue if nobody has responsibility for, for right. the defense and, and, and deterrence. Would you put that in the form of a memo to the president? <laughs> I'll team up with you, Senator, and put it in the memo. <laughs> Can I just get back quickly to, to the viability of your proposals to uh, get through Congress? What are the chances of, of getting uh, these ideas that, that you highlighted now or, or any of the other proposals you, you and the commission put in the report, what are the chances of, of getting them through Congress? And I think what's, what's so interesting about uh, this commission is that it's truly bipartisan or nonpartisan really, and, and cyber defense should be a nonpartisan issue because it's, it's a, a vital issue that I don't think has an ideology. We, we all need to defend our no. countries against cyber attacks. No, so what I, are the chances of getting them passed? These well, proposals? well, let me, let me uh, comment first on the, the makeup of the commission, and you're, very, and you're right. First, I should say that the commission is totally nonpartisan. It had one independent, one Democrat, and two Republicans. And then we had four members from the executive and six members from the private sector. And in over 30 meetings, there was never a partisan moment. There was never a partisan question. There was never a discussion that had any Republican or Democratic tone to it. And to tell you the truth, I couldn't tell you the political affiliation of any of the other members of the commission other than the ones who were in, in the Congress. So uh, I think that's important. And, and that talks about this issue being nonpartisan. And uh, we're having good luck so far in the Congress getting our amendments adopted uh, for example, one of our strongest advocates is Ron Johnson, who is a Republican chair of the Homeland Security Committee. Gary Peters, who is a Democratic ranking member, has been very helpful to us on that committee. So that's why I believe we've, we've made some real progress. We have 18 of our uh, proposals now in the National Defense Authorization Act, which is on the Senate floor next week. And uh, we hope to get more and we're working on the House side as well. So this is, not a, this is not a party line issue by any means, and we're optimistic that we can uh, maintain this momentum. I just wanted to follow up one, on, or, or continue to one area that's a little bit different, and that is the continuity of the economy. So how, how uh, our economy will keep going in case of a, a devastating cyber attack. And, and that is something that can involve legislation, but also, uh, from my perspective, involves a lot of persuading of companies to, to do the right thing before an attack happens. And so I, I wanted to ask how you, you see that happening and, and, and your fellow commissioners as well, because the, the, I think the sticking point is to 
to incentivize companies to do their part, uh, even when it costs them money. And do you think they can be convinced to do the right thing and protect themselves better and have backup plans uh, well, because it's a good thing to do um, and it might it will make financial sense in the long run? Or do you think there should be legislation or should there be subsidies or should there be other carrots? Well, there, there are lots of provision and you're absolutely right to focus on that issue because 85% of what they call the target space is in the private sector. If there's an attack, it will be involved probably the electric grid or our water systems or our financial system, all of which are in the private sector. So enlisting the private sector into in this process is, is incredibly important. And we do have provisions in it. One of them uh, we're, we're working on amends a, a law that we have called Sarbanes-Oxley, which is the major law governing corporate uh, governments and uh, governance and requirements on corporations. And basically, one of our recommendations is that the CEO of a, of a major public company would have to annually certify cyber uh, security in their company, just like they certify their solvency and their financial documents. This is strongly supported by Tom Fanning, who's a private sector executive who was on our commission. He's the CEO of a huge utility uh, in the U.S. in the southeastern United States. And, and actually, this is already a recommendation of our Securities and Exchange Commission. So it's not an entirely out-of-the-blue recommendation. But, uh, you know, we are very focused on trying to uh, use both carrots and sticks, particularly for critical infrastructure companies, where they will have assistance from the government, uh, some additional funding, guidance, access to information. But in exchange, they're expected to really step up their uh, level of cyber hygiene, cyber protection, and, and cyber defense. So uh, I, I think you're right to focus on that. My experience has been that Many private sector companies think they're safer than they are, just like yeah. most secretaries of state think their election systems are safer than they are. So one of, mm -hmm. our, uh, one of our suggestions is that you have to be subjected to uh, penetration testing, to pen testing, uh, because there's nothing, I, what I like to say is there's nothing like a skull and crossbones coming up on the CEO's desktop computer to remind them of, of their vulnerability. So uh, we did spend quite a bit of time focused on this issue. And I think, we've, I think we have some provisions that, that will be uh, enacted and I think will make a difference. Can I just bring in very quickly the shareholders and, and the wider public? So I think one thing that is really interesting about sustainability or corporate social responsibility is that it has become mainstream. Companies, publicly traded companies, see, see this as a moral obligation or a reputational obligation to, to show that they are engaged in CSR in, in, in not just as a whitewashing exercise, but they are, that they are serious about it because otherwise shareholders and the wider public would call them out. Do you think cybersecurity could become the, the next CSR and in, in that sort of weight with, with shareholders and the wider public? Well, I hope it does, but I hope it's even more so. I don't want it, I don't want it to be viewed as a nice thing or a public relations yeah. gesture. I want it to be an essential 
part of, of uh, just like a company has to certify their financial solvency, we believe they ought to have to certify their cyber solvency. And I have to say many companies, I mean, the utilities, I think, are, have done a very good job on this. They have a, a national organization that they work with. They've come a long way in the last seven or eight years. And I think they, they understand fully that in, a, in the case of a serious cyber attack, they're the, they're the front lines. And it, it gets really complicated, Elizabeth, because you get into things like supply chain and the Internet of Things. We never had to think about the cybersecurity of our microwave before, or our automobile, or our refrigerator, but all of those things are, as we become more and more connected to the internet, they become portals through which malicious actors can uh, compromise our security. Yeah, and that again raises the responsibility or increases the responsibility of, of the private sector. Can I ask, and, and we are, having this conversation while the world is emerging in some sense from lockdown. I know it's different in America from the way it is here. And I know you're traveling uh, somewhere in America at the moment. So thank you very much for doing this interview while on the road. But during this lockdown, we have all conducted much more of our lives on the internet. And, and in many cases, we are, I think, not all that familiar with the risks that brings. Are you concerned about the, the level of exposure that, that this incredible presence online by everybody from the youngest to the oldest in our societies by that presence and how it has increased. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, about a month ago, we issued an appendix to our report specifically addressing lessons learned from the pandemic uh, and talking about a lot of these issues. But one of them is, and I don't, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips, but I think I read somewhere where online activity increased something like 70 percent really substantially and you know people are working from home and you, you didn't in, in the in the old days which was you know six months ago you didn't really have to worry too much about the security of your home router because you were using it to do netflix and and uh, you know browse you know go to google and look up your grandfather's birthday but now people are working from home and uh, it's just, as I said, it's, it's one more attack surface. It's one more uh, place where our adversaries can uh, take advantage of it. So absolutely, the pandemic has been a lesson in a number of areas, but that's one of them. And I don't think that's going to diminish. It'll diminish some, somewhat, but I'm talking to a lot of businesses in, in the U.S. who have learned that working from home is very effective and productive. And why are they paying all this money for these expensive office buildings? So I think there's going to be some uh, substantial, and I can't put a number on it, but there's going to be an increase into the future, even when the pandemic is behind us, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. But there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot more working from home and working from remote locations. Uh, that's that's going to be make that's going to be part of the problem. And. I won't keep you on the call for much longer, but I'm curious, have your own internet habits changed uh, as a result of, of what you've learned uh, chairing, co-chairing the Cyberspace Solarium Commission? Yes, I'm now using uh, encrypted message service for many of my text messages and phone calls. I have two-step authentication on my phone and I've certainly become 
more aware. And I'm also, I mean, the best way to be secure is to not talk about things that are not even classified but sensitive on public networks. And uh, it, it's this, this whole experience has certainly reminded me of that. And we learned in our commission that something like 85% of the cyber risk can be mitigated by simple cyber hygiene, not answering phishing emails, using encrypted messaging systems. There's a lot that individuals can do to protect themselves and their companies and their country. Uh, so I think that's an important lesson. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's a sort of mindset that we all have to get into. It's it's fine if you want to, if, if anybody wants to sort of ruin their own laptop because they are sloppy, but it's it's not just about individuals. It's about, it's about everybody doing their part for the well-being of the country. And I, I don't think that's an exaggeration to, to put it that way. Yes. Well, it's so important to take individual responsibility. We can have government programs, we can have corporate programs, but if a, uh, a lower level official in an important business answers a phishing email and the malevolent actor gets into that system and then through that system can get into the defense department or some other secure agency, uh, that's how disasters happen. So, uh, and, and of course, uh, working from home has expanded this uh, target space. We never too, had to worry too much about our home router being secure, uh, but now we have to be thinking about those things. One of the things that we recommend in our report is a, a certification of cybersecurity for consumer products. Uh, in the U.S., we have a thing called Underwriters Laboratories, UL. And when you buy a lamp or a radio or an electronic product and it has the UL label, you know that it's not going to burn your house down. And we're su su uh, suggesting a kind of UL certification for cyber uh, so that when people buy a, a router or a, a speaker system that attaches to your computer or even a, a microwave or a refrigerator that's that's uh, uh, in the Internet of Things, that there is a, a security component included. So uh, that's going to be very important as the as the Internet of Things grows. Uh, so does the uh, place where uh, malevolent actors can can attack us. So uh, it's 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 becoming cyber is not government not only government and it's not only corporation. It's personal, and we each have a personal responsibility to maintain the security, and that's important not only for our business but for our countries. And that's a, a positive note to end on. It's it's not um, it's not just frightening. It's not just about our, what our adversaries can do. It's about what we can do. Not just the government, not just cyber experts, but everybody. Senator King, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for your interest in our work, and uh, we'll get back in touch as we see how the Congress does. But uh, uh, we think we're uh, on a good track. We have momentum, and uh, it's, as you know, I mean, we, we've had this conversation and not really talked about how, how dangerous this situation is, but it is absolutely critical that our countries figure out how to defend ourselves because the irony is, or the paradox is, that the more wired we are, the more vulnerable we are. And uh, so we have to be, we have to deal with that uh, and not leave our countries vulnerable to attack from uh, whether it's a nation state or uh, an individual pirate. So thank you for your interest. And I look forward to continuing to be in touch and to have your input and suggestions uh, to our work. 
Thank you very much. And on that note, the more convenient life becomes, the more vulnerable we become, and the more important it is to take individual responsibility. Thank you again, Senator, and we'll be watching the progress of your proposals and, and recommendations in Congress. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, and good to talk to you. We'll talk again. Do we as citizens have a responsibility for cybersecurity? And what does that responsibility look like? And how can companies be incentivized to do more? And how do we signal to our adversaries that they will suffer if they attack us? Tweet me your thoughts. My Twitter handle is Elizabeth Braw. Many thanks to our producer, Tom Ascott. We'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest who is doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp.